0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Thus Spoke Zarathustra, a reader's guide. In the last episode, we talked about Nietzsche's version of virtue and how for Nietzsche, the most important thing for humans in terms of figuring out how to operate in the world, figuring out what to value in the world, figuring out what to value as a person, figuring out what to value in terms of behavior and how to behave and how to treat other people. That virtue and our own personal virtue is the most important thing. That virtue is not something handed down by God. It's not written in a book. It's not something that Aristotle tells you. That instead it's something that some human beings have within themselves that has the potential to be built and expanded upon through time that virtue is merely a word for the end product of a transformation of a series of deeply passionate energetic impulses that we have within our bodies. Nietzsche says at one time you had passions and called them evil but now you are left with only your virtues. These have grown from out of your passions. You set your highest goal in the heart of these passions. Then they became your virtues and sources of joy. In the end, all your passions turned into virtues and all your devils into angels. At one time, you had wild dogs in your cellar, but in the end, they transformed themselves into birds and delightful singers. Nietzsche here is saying that certain people, the ones who have the potential to be virtuous, have something within their hearts, something within their souls, that when a certain situation is encountered, depending on what the virtue is, these things internal to you will demand on your conscience that you behave in a certain way that if your virtue is called justice, that until the point when you have a relatively firm grasp on what justice is, at first you're just going to have a passionate reaction towards things you consider unjust, that if you see someone who gets cheated, out of something that they deserve. In your gut, you're gonna feel like something wrong has happened. And all you're going to know about justice is that feeling that something is wrong. However, when you're first encountering that feeling, because you have no experience in the world, because you haven't thought about what justice is, because you haven't thought about what fairness is, or equality, or whether these things are even relevant, All you're going to have is this unbridled energy and anger that something bad happened. And if it is a virtue, if that feeling is something that continues to motivate you to learn about and to develop your behavior around through time and through experience, you're going to continue to try to learn what that virtue is, what the important constituents of it are, you're going to learn how to apply it in the world, and, very importantly, you're going to screw up frequently in trying to use that virtue. But through time, if it is a motivating factor for you and you're able to deal with the screw-ups, and the screw-ups are very negative, for people who are elucidating a virtue. They take these things so seriously and they, they honor their virtue so highly that any failure in the face of it is considered a sin. It's considered uh, a failure. It's something that you consider the most important. And Nietzsche describes this. He says, from your poisons, you brewed your own balsam. You milked the cow of your sorrow. Now you drink the sweet milk of her udder. That from your poisons, from these negative, caustic feelings that you have towards a situation that demands appropriate response according to your virtue, that from the cow of your sorrow, from your failure at operating in the world according to your virtue, if you continue to develop and continue to learn how to incorporate that virtue into your daily routine, you will eventually get to a place where you, I don't want to say master it, but you become comfortable in that arena. So if your virtue is justice and you start out as a child having these deep-seated feelings of anger, towards what you consider unjust situations, and you go through the necessary learning curve of learning what is justice, what is equality, how should I consider human beings and their rights or claims onto justice, that by making mistakes or abstaining from action where justice is demanded, you're going to feel terrible. But if it is a virtue and it continues to compel your behavior into the future, in the end, you'll become a master over that virtue. Today's section on the pale criminal shows what can go wrong when we have these passionate things within our heart, within our soul, but we don't have the rationality, the reason, the power of the ego to... Act as a tyrant upon those passionate energies and put them in their place. For Nietzsche, in the previous section, it's very important to remember that these virtues, these passionate, poisonous, wild dog things that we have within us demand severe honing and development that through time and experience and through the application of reason and rationality, these things that are within our animal self can be honed. The section today basically describes what happens in a person who has these passionate wild energies but doesn't have the power of the ego, the power of the spirit, the power of the rational mind to keep those wild energies in check and thus becomes overwhelmed by them. This section is a particularly weird one. It's not one that a lot of people understand, and to be honest with you, even having read this book a number of times, it's not one that I fully understood. I understand it a lot better now. I'm sure there are still things that I'm missing. For example, there's a lot of similarity between this section and what I would argue is my favorite section in the entire book on those who are sublime. It's part of the second book of Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And... I only recognized that there was a similarity or a connection between the two as I was researching this section to explain now. So even though I've read On Those Who Are Sublime over a hundred times, two hundred times probably, I never recognized that there was a linkage between it and this section. And that On Those Who Are Sublime is basically the other side of the coin someone who has these wild beasts, these virtues struggling within their heart, within their soul, but they have the power of the rational mind to dominate those and keep them in check, but that the problem of the person who is sublime rather than pale criminal is that their ego is too strong, their tendency towards rationality and ordering is too strong, that it's a good thing that you need that in order to keep your virtues in check as they develop, but once they develop, you got to relax a little bit. In this section, rationality is lacking. So, before I get too much more into it, let's read this section. Chapter 6, On the Pale Criminal. You would not kill, you judges and sacrificers, until the beast has nodded. Behold, the pale criminal has nodded. From out of his eye there speaks the great despising. My ego is something that is to be overcome. My ego is, for me, the great despising of the human. Thus it speaks, from out of this eye, That he pronounced judgment on himself was his greatest moment. Let the sublime man not relapse to what is lower in him. There is no redemption for one who suffers from himself so much, unless it be a quick death. Your killing, you judges, shall be compassion and not revenge. And as you kill, See to it that you yourselves justify life. It is not enough that you are reconciled with the one you kill. May your sorrow be love for the overhuman. Thus may you justify your own living on. Enemy, shall you say, but not evildoer. Sick man, shall you say, but not knave. Fool, shall you say, but not sinner. And you, scarlet judge, if you were to say out loud all you have already done in your thoughts, everyone would cry out. Away with this filth and poison worm. But the thought is one thing. The deed is another. And another yet is the image of the deed. The wheel of grounds does not roll between them. An image made this pale man pale. Equal to his deed was he when he did it, but its image he could not endure after it was done. He now saw himself always as doer of a single deed, madness i call this the exception now became for him the essence the chalk line bewitches the hen the line he followed bewitched his meager reason madness after the deed i call this hear me you judges there is yet another kind of madness and this is before the deed Ah, you have not crawled deep enough into this soul. Thus speaks the Scarlet Judge. But why did this criminal murder? He wanted to rob. But I say to you all, his soul wanted blood, not loot. He was thirsting for the joy of the knife. But his meager reason was unable to grasp this madness, and it won him over. "'What is the point of blood?' it said. "'Do you not at least want to steal something, too? "'Or to take revenge?' "'And he listened to his meager reason. "'Like lead did its speech lie upon him. "'And so he robbed when he murdered. "'He wanted not to be ashamed of his madness. "'And now again the lead of his guilt lies upon him. "'And again... His meager reason is so stiff, so lamed, so heavy. If only he could shake his head, his burden would roll off. But who can shake this head? What is this man? A heap of sicknesses that reach out through the spirit into the world. There they want to catch their prey. What is this man? a ball of wild snakes that are seldom at peace with each other, and so they go forth singly and seek prey in the world. Behold this poor body, what it suffered and desired, this poor soul interpreted for itself, and interpreted it as murderous pleasure and greed for the joy of the knife. Whoever now becomes sick is overcome by the evil that is evil now. He wants to hurt with that which hurts him. But there have been other times and another evil and good. Once doubting was evil and the will to self. At that time, the sick became heretics and witches As heretics and witches, they suffered and wanted to inflict suffering. But this will not enter your ears. It would harm your good men, you tell me. But what do your good men matter to me? Much about your good men disgusts me, and verily, it is not their evil. How I wish they had a madness through which they might perish just like this pale criminal. Verily, I wish their madness were called truth, or loyalty, or justice. But they have their virtue in order to live long and in wretched contentment. I am a railing by the torrent. Grasp me, whosoever can. Your crutch, however, I am not. Thus spoke Zarathustra. In this section, the character of Zarathustra is describing the pale criminal from what we spoke about before reading the actual section. That's essentially akin to the person who has passionate things stirring within their soul, within their heart, but doesn't have the rational Capability, the strong enough reason to deal with these passionate energies. So that's ostensibly who Nietzsche and Zarathustra are talking about. But the whole section is addressed to judges and sacrificers, the scarlet, the red judge. And I think it's instructive that Nietzsche includes the second character, because it is essentially his advice on how people in a society and different types of people should react to this pale criminal type of person. And even though he spends most of the section describing the pale criminal, which we'll get into, it's important to note that he's addressing this to a secondary group of people, the judges and sacrificers, the people within society who try and uphold law and order and try and, by doing so, keep the undesirable elements of society at bay so that the desirable parts of society can continue growing into the future towards the overhuman. The pale criminal, as Nietzsche describes him, is someone whose ego, whose rationality, whose reason is not strong enough to contend with the negativities and passions within their soul. He references that in many different ways. There's no redemption for one who suffers from himself so much. The chalk line bewitches the hen... The line he followed bewitched his meager reason. But I say to you all, his soul wanted blood, not loot. He was thirsting for the joy of the knife. But his meager reason was unable to grasp this madness, and it won him over. And he listened to his meager reason. Like lead did its speech lie upon him. And so he robbed when he murdered. He wanted not to be ashamed of his madness. And now again the lead of his guilt lies upon him, and again his meager reason is so stiff, so lamed, so heavy. What is this man, a heap of sicknesses that reach out through the spirit into the world? There they want to catch their prey. What is this man, a ball of wild snakes that are seldom at peace with each other? So they go forth singly and seek prey in the world. So this pale criminal is essentially someone who has these passionate things within themselves that we saw in the last section, but doesn't have the necessary thinking skills, rationality skills, reason skills to apply to those negative feelings that are looking for expression in the world and to hone them into productive, useful, helpful things for society that from the past section, at one time you had wild dogs in your cellar, but in the end they transformed themselves into birds and delightful singers. That's not happening in The Pale Criminal. All that's happening is the wild dogs are getting out. And the meager reason is completely subject to the desires of those wild dogs. that the heap of sicknesses reach out through the spirit, through the ego, into the world. And that the pale criminal is an undesirable aspect of society. He may have the prerequisites of being a virtuous person who builds beyond himself into the overhuman, but he doesn't have the spiritual capacity to actually hone those things. Now, most people, when they get to this section, the closest analogy that they can make, or the best analysis they can make, is that this seems roughly similar to the character Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment, a novel by Dostoevsky. Now, Nietzsche really admired Dostoevsky. I believe he didn't know about Dostoevsky until after writing this book, but in his autobiography he references Dostoevsky as basically the only person he learned anything psychological from, which is something very interesting to say from one of the greatest psychologists who ever lived. And so the character Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment spends about the first hundred pages of the book trying to justify to himself rationally the murder of a miserable old landlady and similar to the pale criminal he's using his rationality to try and justify something before he does it and so Nietzsche talks about the two types of madness the madness before the deed the madness after the deed the madness before the deed is basically Nietzsche says that someone who's inner passions are not harnessed, their, their meager reason is not strong enough to, to clamp down on their negative passions, and that as a result of that, the person commits a crime and has to trick themselves into thinking that they're merely doing it for good reasons or trying to rob or something, but really what it is is a, an undeveloped, unhoned type of person committing a crime. And the Scarlet Judge, who is not pale as Scarlet they they, they're more in tune with life, they're more in tune with society, they're not as extreme, they're not dealing with these balls of snakes within them, as Nietzsche references later on, that uh, the good men, they're not evil enough, he wishes they had a madness through which they might perish, that He wishes their madness were called truth or loyalty or justice, but most good people just have virtue in order to live long. These red judges, as the guardians of society, don't understand the psychology of this type of person. And so in Crime and Punishment, we notice that Raskolnikov, tries with his meager reason to justify what he's doing and robs the old woman after he kills her, And then the remaining 500 pages of Crime and Punishment is basically what Nietzsche describes here as the madness after the deed, that while Raskolnikov thought that, you know, he had every rational reason in the book to murder this old woman who no one liked, no one cared about, that he starts to go slowly mad in the remaining 500 pages of the book because he was not equal to his deed afterwards. He he was constantly remembering what he did and it didn't jive with his self-image that there's something deeper to humanity than just rational thinking that he couldn't get over. So that's the character of the pale criminal. It's someone who essentially, they have these drives within them, but they can't harness them. They can't develop them through time. They can't channel them and focus them in a good direction. And it's very important to note a lot of people in their analysis of this section say something along the lines of oh if the pale criminal could only shake their head and justify their murder and their evil doings and all this sort of stuff then they'd be able to get away with it and then that's the mark of the overhuman that you can commit all sorts of crimes and and get away with it and that's what the overhuman should do, ignore morality and just kill everyone. But to jump ahead to my favorite section on those who are sublime, Nietzsche's talking to basically the equivalent character who has these passions within them, but their problem is, is not so much that they, they can't control these passions, as that they're over-controlling them. And towards the end of the section on those who are sublime, Nietzsche says, and from nobody, Do I want just such beauty, and as much as from you, you powerful one? May your goodness be your ultimate self-overpowering. Of all evil, I deem you capable. For that reason, I want from you the good. Verily, I have often laughed at the weaklings who think themselves good merely because they have lame paws. And so I want you guys to remember when you're reading this section or coming across interpretations of Nietzsche that says he's some supramoral, you can kill anyone you want and get away with it. Uh, When when you run across that impression, don't really give it any heed that Nietzsche is basically telling us through this book that if you're a successful person and you have the spiritual capabilities to commit all sorts of evil and commit very negative things that if you have these virtues that are so passionate within you that demand expression in the world oftentimes those tendencies will take a bend towards negative expressions or your rationality in applying those things will lead you to conclusions that are extremely negative Nietzsche is basically saying here, yes, you need to embrace your evil. You need to embrace your your capability for all things that are evil. But don't give in to those. Just because you are so capable of evil, I I desire from you the good. That he often laughs at weaklings who think they're good merely because they lack paws. Paws in the sense of a bear paw. So Nietzsche is basically saying... That in order to become a stronger, more capable human being, and thus take humanity one step closer to the overhuman, in accordance with this expression of the will to power, which keeps looking to grow through time, that we need to dig deep into who we are, what our virtues are, use our virtues, these untamed, wild, passionate energies. And through time, learn how to harness the power of those things, which includes the power to do evil. But then, because we're masters over our virtues, use them for good. That's what Nietzsche is saying. Now, of course, what he thinks is good is interesting, and it's nuanced, and we're going to go through that as we go through this book. But I'm I i do not like people who just use Nietzsche as a, as an excuse to support genocide, support all sorts of horrible things. And there is a lot of evidence in this book that suggests that he wasn't calling for that. So I've described the pale criminal, I've described virtue, I've described that the pale criminal is essentially someone who has the preliminary forms of virtue within who they are but they lack the rational spiritual strength of reason to adapt those powers through time and that instead all they give expression to is chaos and evil and Nietzsche's advice to the judges and sacrificers is to eliminate these people to throw them in jail to remove them from the population because they're only destructive. And he gives some interesting advice that shapes the way that people in a society should see what they're doing when it comes to punishment, when it comes to judging someone. And so Nietzsche says, You're killing, you judges. Shall be compassion and not revenge. And as you kill, see to it that you yourselves justify life. Now, this is interesting. A lot of people think that throwing someone in jail or giving them the death penalty or whatever is a, is largely motivated to, to due to revenge. And in less modern times, this was certainly one of the biggest sources of punishment, that whenever someone does something wrong to you, it feels good to get revenge on them. Nietzsche here is saying, no, don't look at it like that. Look at it as compassion. It's not revenge against someone who did something horrible. It's compassion for their suffering, taking them out of a situation where they're feeling miserable and capable of doing horrible things, that you're you're helping them and you're helping society. It's compassion for your society. And you should be justifying life and the expression of the will to power in your society that you should be supporting things that are good that if you're gardening and there's a weed you gotta uproot it and don't do it out of revenge and anger at the weed. The weed is a weed. And that it just needs to be discarded. And it's not enough that you're reconciled with the one you kill. May your sorrow be love for the overhuman. Thus may you justify your own living on. That yes, it's never pleasant to punish someone, but you should recognize in that unpleasantness is a necessary step to getting to the overhuman. And it's similar to the development of your passions. There's a lot of short-term negativity for long-term gain. There's an interesting line here where he says, Enemy, shall you say, but not evildoer. Sick man, shall you say, but not knave. Fool, shall you say, but not sinner. And he's basically saying there, don't consider these people metaphysically on some level of being an evil, demon-infested person. You're simply an enemy. You're, you're a sick man. You're a fool. You're not an evildoer, a knave, or a sinner. That The belief in these adjectives that are loaded with metaphysical assumptions don't really do us any good. After this section, Nietzsche then goes on to describe the madness before the deed, the madness after the deed, which we've already discussed. And afterwards, he continues to try and explain this to the judges and sacrificers, the red judges. He's trying to give an insight into the psychology here and why people do the things they do. And he says, whoever now becomes sick is overcome by the evil that is evil now. He wants to hurt with that which hurts him. But there have been other times and another good and evil. Once doubting was evil and the will to self. At that time, the sick became heretics and witches. As heretics and witches, they suffered and wanted to inflict suffering. And so he's basically saying here that these pale criminals, these sort of bundles of sickness... Depending on what your society considers to be good or evil, because they're a bundle of sickness, they're going to want to inflict evil and suffering onto the world. And they will grasp whatever in their society is considered evil at that time. They'll go countercultural to try and inflict as much damage as possible on the culture. So, back in the day when it was evil to be a witch and you were infested by demons and being a Satanist or whatever, that the heretics and witches would basically be these humans who couldn't control their inner desires and they took up the mantle, they took up the description of being a heretic and a witch. They lived that way, they tried to damage society from the point of view of what society feared the most. Now I touched on this briefly a few minutes ago, but Nietzsche ends out the section, talking again to the judges and sacrificers, these guardians of society, and the maintainers of proper etiquette within the society. He says, much about your good men disgusts me, and verily it is not their evil. How I wish they had a madness through which they might perish just like this pale criminal. And so he's saying that it's not necessarily bad that the pale criminal has these tendencies. He's already described that the problem is simply that they lack the reason, the rationality to harness those things. So he goes again to justify that, no, these passions that turn into virtues are very desirable. And indeed, he wishes that the madness through which they might perish were called truth or loyalty or justice, that Nietzsche wishes that the Judges and good men of society were so passionate about truth and loyalty and justice and had the rationality and spiritual faculties to develop those concepts of truth, loyalty, and justice into the future because a society would be better if you had more people thinking very hard about truth, loyalty, and justice. So Nietzsche here closes out the section by saying it's not so much the passions that are bad it's the lack of rationality, it's the lack of ability to hone those passions into something productive. So in closing, this is a a tricky section. Uh, It's one that not a lot of people come across and necessarily take too much out of, but I do think it is an interesting elaboration on what Nietzsche said about virtue in the previous section, that if you're the type of person who has this virtue, this passionate thing within their heart, it doesn't necessarily end well. You may not be able to control it. There is the imagery in the last section of someone who had multiple virtues going out into the desert to kill themselves because they were tired of being a war and battlefield between their virtues. So we'll get into later in the book other ways that this development of virtue might happen and some of the characteristics of a person who is virtuous, and some more of the development of the type of person who has these passions and turns them into virtues. But this, I think, is uh, the main section in the book that deals with what happens if you simply lack the rationality, the reason, the spiritual skills to deal with it. So, thank you for joining. I hope I gave some clarity to a section that hitherto has not been explained all that well and I'll talk to you in the next episode hey everyone thank you so much for joining I really hope you enjoyed the show today if you know anyone who you think might like this your friends your family your loved ones co-workers anyone who you think might be interested in the message feel free to share with them It's very helpful to me very helpful to the show and gets out some of the hopefully good ideas that we're trying to spread. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, very hateful things to say, you can reach me on my website at alexdrake.ca. I'm also on Twitter at at AlexJDrake. Feel free to subscribe in iTunes, rate in iTunes. Anything you can do to help the show is great, and I hope you all enjoy it. Thanks.